Good morning, church. My name is Christina. I'm one of the deacons here at Church in the Square. Here today's scripture reading from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is unhealthy, is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Can you hear me in the back? 90% of the time my microphone doesn't work, so just want to be clear. It's good to gather with you guys. My name is Derek. I serve as an elder here at Church in the Square. Um, thank you. I got some, I, I got some group members up here, so they're, they're bringing it, uh, trying to support. So if I get lost, they'll see me focusing right on Chelsea and Trisha. Uh, it's Mother's Day. This is a unique day for me. Uh, like many of you, it holds a lot of different meanings, a lot of different responses, a lot of different emotions and sentiments. If you've been around here for a minute, you'll know we got a lot of kiddos, especially when there's no childcare. <laughs> that means we got a lot of mamas too, and by His grace, we're grateful for that. But like really anything else, this world's up, this world holds up, or makes up. We as Christians are right in the middle of this tension around celebration and sorrow, and Mother's Day is just no different. This tension weighs heavy on me every Mother's Day. By His grace, we got three little kids to shepherd. It's a beautifully joyful, difficult, exposing life this far. Yet the tension is here. I walked through years of infertility with my wife. I held Ashley after many Mother's Days. We longed for children. I've celebrated a brunch with Ashley while holding Wiley on her first Mother's Day. I've sat with Nana, my mother-in-law, and enjoyed the stories of her mothering Ashley and how she was a child. Yet still today for myself, my heart longs for a restored relationship with my own mother. My mom isn't gone. She didn't leave us. My folks live in Denver. They're seemingly normal, but our relationship as mother and son is broken. We're emotionally separated and safety, trust, and care that I long for is absent. So today, like a lot of days, is a lot of things to a lot of different folks. So to my mamas out there, I see you. To my sisters longing for children one day, I see you. To my nanas, nannies, grandmas, and grannies, I see you. To my brothers and sisters that have lost their mother, I see you. To each of you that has a story with a mother, I see you. You're so loved. Let me pray and ask for God's help because Lord knows I'll need it. Gracious Father, it's an honor to be handling your word. Let me do this, God, in the name of you and not Derek. Lord, let the words speak, God, your graces and truths. God, infect this body today with your spirit so that we may walk in the likeness of Jesus more today than we did when we came in. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Today I kick off our three-week series where each elder will be stepping in and teaching a text that's been shaping them. 
Following this series, we'll keep a pause on Romans. Uh, we'll enter into a uh, teaching series we're calling Kingdom Being. It's going to be on the Sermon of the Mount. So with that said, let's jump into this. As you may know, I don't preach or prepare for sermons every week. I'm what they call a lay elder, which all that means is I don't get paid to be up here. <laughs> but the elder team has identified a real way to care for our brother Jason's throughout the year by preaching and teaching on some Sundays. Jay faithfully teaches and builds us up in the likeness of Jesus each week in and out. But today, he gets to be just member. That's a grace we're very grateful for. It's also a grace if you guys show up this month. So I'm a lay elder, and in my day job, where I do get paid is in sales, medical device sales to be specific. What that means is I sell medical devices, and within this vocation, my entire marker of success, of completion or good work, comes from whether or not I hit my sales number. It's pretty black and white. Truly anything else, there's nothing truly else that matters. Sell nothing, make nothing. Sell something, make something. Move X amount of product from Jan 1 to December 31st, and you did your job. Then from December 31st to January 1st, the company will either prepare a bonus check or they'll decide whether you're worth keeping. And on, December on January 1st, they'll slap a 20% quota on you, slap you on the booty and say, get them next year, see you December 31st. To be honest, I love it. But it almost destroyed me as well. Needless to say, for my 13-year career as a medical salesperson, I'm forced to interact with money and the relationship I have with money daily. And today, by God's grace, I hope to expose myself to the ways in which the Lord is exposing my relationship with money and possessions through Matthew 6. To be clear, this sermon has nothing to do with giving or tithing or how you spend your money. Maybe another day, I'm still trying not to look at my bank account every day and let that number affect my mood, my emotions, the day I have, the week I have, the month I have. So I won't be touching on how you spend what the Lord has entrusted to you today, but how the Lord has been shaping me through this. So if you're uncomfortable, welcome. So am I. Matthew 6 says, Do not lay up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up treasures for yourself in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This passage is from the gospel account of Jesus from his disciple Matthew, where Jesus is delivering the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount shows up pretty early in the accounts of Jesus, which makes a lot of sense. Jesus is giving us a new way to live, a new way to act within the daily life, and giving us a new tangible ways in which we, followers of him, are to interact with the world. So it makes sense it comes up early. This countercultural sermon articulates many ways to live as Christians. And specifically in this passage, shows us that money, specifically the love of money, a man-made currency steals, destroys, and separates us from God. Jesus would have clearly experienced this with his walk on earth and fully understand the lies money offers the human creation. Money offers a way to be our own little God. And the ills of money always returns void. 
Here are three aspects of ordering your life around money that have been going on in my heart and that I'd like to discuss today and why I think money is so messy, even as followers of Christ. Our hearts long for comfort, our head desires control, and our Jesus delivers contentment. So in the first part of this text, Matthew says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Let me put this in 2023 context. Do not find comfort in your possessions that aren't coming with you and guard your heart from the lying thieves of this world that want to steal your heart through your possessions. We long for a time that we experience the comfort and fullness of God. This is true back to the garden. The minute sin entered the world from our first parents, we were separated. Separation is the longing for comfort. Separation is the aching for comfort. It's the thing that's in the middle of our body that we want to cram as much stuff in to feel better, to feel whole, to feel like we're doing it right, to feel comfortable. Adam and Eve experienced this in an instant when they ate the fruit. They hid because there was separation from their father and perfect comfort was broken. We feel this too. Deep inside our humanness, you're human. I'm human. We're image bearers of our Lord, but we're separated from perfect comfort of God because of sin. Understanding this truth and human longing is difficult for me because my flesh desires to chalk it up to, well, it is what it is. God shouldn't have screwed it all up in the garden in the first place. He should have stomped that serpent out day one, right? But my flesh lies. Just like the serpent in the garden told a lie. Our humanity is real. Hear this, it's human to be led astray and to believe lies. Our humanness is not something to pass over as we tread each day with the desires to be more like Jesus. The longing for comfort is human too. You're not alone in this longing. We all ache to be in his fullness again. This tension will be ever present until God restores all things. But here today, we're longing for comfort and separated from God because of sin. And as long as we wait, as long as we seek comfort, and as we look around and make decisions about what comforts us, I want to bring our attention to our possessions. All those possessions that are ours. Ours to enjoy. Ours to explore. Ours to keep. Ours to decide fate of. Ours to play God over. We find comfort in our possessions, whether it's 10 things or 10,000 things. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Treasures are the possessions that will eventually ruin. They will eventually be destroyed. They hold no value in the age to come, no matter how dope they are. Let's think about Jesus and his possessions. It's hard to grapple with the fact that the Son of Man essentially had nothing. Scripture says he had nowhere to lay his head, meaning not even a bed. Consider your possessions. Take a minute. Consider your possessions. Do they own you? Do they control you? Do they hold emotional weight that you can't even imagine not having? I bet your social media algorithm knows where the treasure lies. Have you told a friend, a spouse, a parent, a group member? And James Epistle says, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when fully grown, brings forth death. If our desires are wrapped up into possessions, James says they will eventually burst sin and then death. 
that desire to satisfy your comfort with your current possessions, the next possession, the next possession or anything that tangible this world offers, it's going to end bad. Trust me. I'm not that old. But I filled my life with this world and I left a wake of destruction behind me and I'm still not satisfied. See, possessions and finding comfort in things are where my wife and I sin the best together. We're pros at this. Yes, you might be in a seemingly healthy relationship with a spouse, a friend, a family member that actually aligns with your sin pattern. It's wild that it's my spouse, but it's why you should be in a group. It's why you should expose yourself to other people to see your blind spots week in and week out. Ashley and I, we love to have, to get, to find. But what Jesus has been exposing is that all those possessions represent a lot of distrust, shame, guilt, immaturity, and selfishness. We think we deserve our possessions or deserve the ability to get what I want, when I want it. And we continually ingest our comfort through our stuff and our experiences. We are simply longing to be comforted by something and we have found it in things, in possessions, in what's considered ours, in holding of a new package or opening a new package, even if it's diapers. We are comforted that we can get and we can have. You see, as followers of Jesus, our heart aches for this longing to be fulfilled, but a quick hit of a brown box at your door a, pair, a new pair of shoes or a tool is where I typically turn for my comfort. Each time I insert another wedge between myself and my God because I fail to believe he satisfies the hunger of my heart with himself. You see, I wish it was a silver bullet. I could say, have this many possessions, look like this, give this much to the church, save this much money, spend this percentage on yourself, but I can't. It's the way in which your heart is in relationship with your money, with your treasures. I'm sorry, it's not a practical issue. It's a heart issue. And the world doesn't deal with heart issues. It deals with the choices, emotions, and actions the human heart creates. So let's get off the hamster wheel and name what man-made comforts we're cramming into our soul to feel some type of way, or what possessions we cling to and hold high and mighty, or what day of the month we get to feel better because the account is filled. Our hearts yesterday, today, and tomorrow long for a comfort that's satisfied, and we are human, so we desire to fill this longing. And it's 2023, so our access to the world is booming. Don't fall prey to the love of possessions and things. Today we have Jesus who satisfies our comfort with himself. He will not ruin. He will not fade or break. He doesn't return void. Seek him. Seek his comforts and truth. Read his word when you need to be reminded whose everlasting love endures forever. Let's move from the head, heart to the head. Anytime we talk about loving money, the head is fully aware because this is a practical part of the body that helps to discern, is wise, and functions in today's age. Let me tell you, I started with the heart because the head simply outpours the truths, beliefs, and products the heart produces. Let me say that again. I started with the heart because the head simply outpours the truths, the beliefs, and the products the heart produces. You can't outthink your heart. You might find a path that works, but where, you're, where you lay your heart will eventually arrive. Again, trust me on this one. I've been trying to outweigh my heart and outthink the deepest part of my being, but I eventually have to surrender my head to my heart. 
Matthew 22, Matthew 6, verse 22 says, the eye of the lamp, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Our head desires control. It's powerful, without a doubt. It controls the body. It can make us sick with worry. It can lift a car in adrenaline. It can accomplish many tasks quickly with experiences. It can tackle and fix problems with deep, deep thought. Yet it's deceitful in its wandering. It believes lies in its lack of foundation. It quickly falls into troubles in its curiosity. What the head wants is control. We all do. It's human. We all want to hold it together because it feels safe to control our own because then we don't have to get hurt. But what the head knows that we don't like to admit is that it can't do it all. Maybe for a time being or a season or a part of life or some point, the powerfully controlling head, but at some point, the powerfully controlling head will fall to the heart. I've fallen to my heart. I've burst into tears when I thought I was in control. I've acted a fool in anger and rage when I was in control. You see, what Jesus says in Matthew is simply truth. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So how do we know our eye is bad? Am I trusting and believing in my head or my heart? How does the love and control of money tie into this? We're going to do this in two points. The lie of control is that we can be God. The truth of control is that we aren't God. The lie we are told each day with our finances, with our money, with our spending, is that we are able to act as a little personal, one-on-one, functional God. Look outwardly. Let's look outwardly to, to what we see, experience, and are being told each day that, falls, that the eye falls prey to. Our society and culture deals with basically all aspects of life in a way that says you can do better, you can be better, you know more, learn more, change quicker, adapt faster, and win in anything with the right focus or eye, right? Think about the amount of apps, the amount of books, webinars, colleges, degrees, more degrees, more trainings, more books, more apps, influencers without any of these things describing, telling you how to live, act, or be. And they're all out there. Or should I say they're all in our pocket? The society puts such a priority and worth on praise and knowledge and understanding that it chokes the heart out. Even the influences you say are good are still videoing themselves and promoting themselves in their understanding, their beliefs, and their experiences. In this modern society, your head, your eyes, and your attention are under attack in ways I can't even fathom. And honestly, it scares the poop out of me. Poop always gets a laugh. The lie of control says you can eventually become God, or at least a good enough God that is protected from hurt, protected from disappointment, and protected from misuse. Control of my life is not something I was specifically taught, but something I learned. It was the natural product and outpouring of growing up in a home where the priority on love and praise was derived from performance. I didn't grow up around Christians, and so of course I learned the way to control the world was through the world. Pretty simple. It felt good to perform and get something for it to be in a good mood and always be on. From a young age, I learned how to act, how to behave, and how to create a life worthy of attaboys, gifts, and praises. Inevitably, this would include money because it's the societal measuring stick of worthiness, and it naturally became the next big wall to run through. 
I cheated, I stole, I physically fought, I worked my butt off to get what was mine. And of course, all with a smile, decent looks, and pretty good athletic skills. I could do it all. I was a god. I may not have been able to articulate this, but looking back and wading through the waters of destruction, what Derek's God produced was darkness, and there was no light in my body. What I needed was a heart not of this world to produce fruit. Fruit that was not of this world. But what I had was control over my decisions and actions, and it produced shame, guilt, fear, and unworthiness. Jesus uses a parable in the Gospel Luke about a sower. If you're not familiar, I'll paraphrase it quick. It's about sowing seeds to grow and produce whatever the seed is made of. What the parable describes is where the seed actually laid or the ground it lands on and its surroundings gives it the possibility of flourishing. So seed laid on the concrete, the birds devoured. Seed laid in the bushes, the bush chokes it out. And laid in the soil, a single seed can produce an entire crop. Now in Matthew's gospel, Jesus explains this parable. Matthew 13, 18 through 23 reads, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, he does not understand it. The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. It has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. See, the lie of control is that you can produce fruit, you can produce fruit worthy of your personal God without the God of the Bible. Oh, the evil one would love us to live this way because it produces phonies of the faith, believers of the world, and products of death. Let go of the control you think you have. Unclench your fist. Drop the tongue from the roof of your mouth. Let your shoulders down. Sit back in your chair. You don't have to keep it all together anymore. It's finished, and you can breathe. The truth of control is that we are not God. We can't actually control what we think. We can't transform hearts, we can't save anyone, we can't defeat death, period. But we don't argue that too often, do we? Then why do we believe phrases like, I worked harder, I earned it, I deserve it? Look back at your life, your vocation, your relationships, your things. Can you look Yahweh, Abba Father, the God of the universe in the eyes and say, whew, if Derek didn't show up on the scene, all these aspects of my life would have been a hot mess if I didn't interject myself. Is that true? Look up there. First one, you shall have no other gods before me. That means you too. That means Derek. We cannot be our own God before God. Control is a myth. The evil one whispered to Adam and Eve in the garden. Money is money. It's only a currency, it's not alive, it's not living or breathing, it doesn't speak back, money is dead. But we resuscitate the value of money into life and while we pump on its chest and blow life into its mouth, we're destroying our whole body. This is loving money, not just money. This is giving it more than it is. It's a necessity of this age. 
but it's dead and will remain dead unless you give it life. Please don't. For me, as soon as I do, as soon as it has life, I'm anxious, I'm nervous, and I'm scared because I have given it life that Jesus never did. In verse 22, Jesus says, the eye of the lamp of the body. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Tethering your head and desires to the heart to King Jesus produces life and wholeness. Seeds that are planted in what Jesus offers bears fruit that are life-giving and offer a lifelong of hope. See, the seeds that are sown in Jesus need not to be controlled and perfectly executed to flourish because they are not in the living, they are in the living king of the age to come. And those fruits which can't be controlled by the head outpour from the heart because of King Jesus, like joy, like love, like peace, like patience, like kindness, like goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness. Those are the seeds that a heart, that the mind should produce from the heart. Finally, our hearts long for comfort, our head desires controls. This battle wages war in our bodies daily, hourly, and minute by minute. From the garden to Jesus' time on earth and until he returns, this tension will be ever present as we seek contentment on earth. Our hearts seek contentment through the comforts of the emotions and feelings we experience with other humans, with life experiences like travel and earning praise. Our head curates contentment through the little pieces it can control by protecting the heart from pain, with selfish, with selfish justification and the inward gazing of one's life. It's really hard to marry the two, head and heart. To produce what our innermost desires, contentment. What Jesus says is that we are unable to serve two masters. We cannot serve head and mind as long as, we cannot serve heart and mind as they long for comfort and yearn for control. Verse 24 says, no one can serve two masters. For either, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So what does it actually mean? Like I mentioned before, this isn't a practical issue. And this text isn't speaking to whether you have a bank account or you stuff it all on your mattress, whether you buy bonds or buy crypto, whether you tithe 50% or 5%. It's a hard issue surrounding our relationship with money and if we love it. What Jesus desires is your whole heart. He doesn't want a little on Sundays, a little on group night, and a certain percentage of your check. He wants it all. Because he is a God that uses his people to do his work. So you can serve, so you cannot serve two masters. We are incredible beings created in the image of God. We're superheroes, we can heal ourselves. But Jesus knew we could not serve more than one master. And he knew the ills of money would always be there. St. Augustine talks about getting your loves in order. I'm paraphrasing, but he says, a human must love everything in creation according to its proper relationship to God, which means loving God above all creation and not inordinately loving any creature or part of creation as the human person ultimate end. Living according to the order of love presents one with the promise that human life might participate in the very Trinitarian life and mutual love of God. See, whatever is ahead of God in your heart 
will own your whole self. Whatever you love will give you comfort. Whatever you love will give you control. Whatever you love will give you contentment. I wanted to preach on this verse today not to tell you that you love money like I have. Not to convince you to download a new app or change your approach to finances. It's not to shame you or make you feel convicted that your relationship with money is off. To be sure, it might be. And you made a deal with some stuff. But that's not the hill I'm dying on up here. Money's hard to talk about. It's hard to name. It's difficult to put language to. But it's not going anywhere. And we'll always need to interact, manage, and discern the use of it each day. We are here. But it doesn't need to have any more life than that. I love sales. I love my job. I love to win. But I fell in love with money. And I'm terrified of it. Something we love shouldn't produce fear. It shouldn't produce shame. It shouldn't produce guilt. I cannot serve God and money. I cannot love God and love money. We seek contentment each day by the interactions we have with our current possessions or possessions we seek, the relationships we have, the ones we seek, and the time we spend filling the gap between now and heaven. Jesus gave his entire self in order that we may be content with him and his truth and his beauty today. What Jesus offers us through the cross is life itself without the tethering, the lies, and the deceit of money. He holds us as sons and daughters of the Most High God. In him we are whole, lacking nothing. Order your love so that Jesus is first and comfort, control, and contentment will outpour as your God wills and your cup will overflow with peace and joy. Jesus offers complete contentment today, right now, of your heart, mind, and body. Let me pray. Gracious Father, I don't always believe everything I just said. I don't always fully trust in you. Perfection is even attainable from what I understand and know. But the beauty of sending your son is that I don't have to be all those things. And we as a people have been saved in our shortcomings. We've been saved in our unbeliefs. We've been saved in our iniquities, God. Because you are a good God. And you are a God that loves us. You are a God that shows up for us. You are a God that is still right beside us as we stumble and walk and learn. Be with us, Lord. We need you each day. Let us be a people that calls on you, Lord, for help and knows and loves you each day. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.